0: Details. you're listening to turf show radio with the first pick in the 2016 nfl draft the los angeles rams select jared goff quarterback california Pickles the ball. That's it to Gurley. Down the sideline. That's not that about. Ears it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny
1: Britt is gone. Touchdown.
0: Give it to Gurley.
1: Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season.
0: And now, here's your host. Hello everybody and welcome to a special edition of Turf Show Times Radio. We were having some technological differences, um, and we had to resort to a primitive technique called the one-on-one interview that we're going to squeeze in around the podcast here in post production. So, uh, man, I am pleased today to, uh, to be joined by NFL Networks, uh, Mile High Radio, you name it, Mr. Benjamin Albright has done it. Ben, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. Uh, how about yourself? You know, it's been a heck of a week. Um, I would say my wife's uh, grandfather just died of cancer uh, two days ago, so it has been one of those weeks, and, uh, but, you know, uh, there are always silver linings to everything, so there's a celebration of his life coming up, and I'm so looking forward to that, that man had stories that I can't wait to hear, so... Gotta find the good in everything, which I think is going to be the theme of today's conversation if we're talking about the Rams during positive week. Um, but I want to kick it off to a, uh, we, you and I had had a discussion where uh, on Twitter where I had asked you, you know, for a logical reason, explain this to me because what's funny is that I wasn't a, uh, and am not a Rams fan at all in any way. Uh, I was brought over, Joe needed help. I actually was a a Saints guy, (laughs) but I've been covering college football for the past four years before Joe brought me on to do this Rams thing to go in LA. And so I'm kind of the outsider looking at this, and I, I thought your explanation of why the Rams extended Fisher could at least make sense logically to somebody who needed something to to make sense to them. You want to go ahead and explain kind of the conversation, the brief conversation that we had, and why you told me the Rams ultimately decided Fisher was the guy they needed to extend.
1: Well, it's a, it's a combination of factors. You know, For his, his, uh, and I, I think virtually everybody will agree Jeff Fisher is the epitome of, uh, you know, a mediocre coach. Um, and, and I don't mean that to, to sound as maybe as biting or as snarky as it does, but I think that when all said and done, he's the epitome of a middling coach. But uh, the Rams were in such dire straits before Jeff Fisher got there. And five years before Jeff Fisher got to uh, then St. Louis, uh, the Rams had won 15 games in five years. Fifteen games. That is absurdly low number. uh an average of 3 a year. They were terrible. And I, and I think people have forgotten just how bad they were. I mean, they uh, they made this this year's Cleveland Browns team look, you know, fairly competent. Um so it it was bad. And so now when Fisher got in there, he kind of elevated uh the team and elevated the discourse and then St. Louis now LA uh, to, a, to a level of mediocrity. They're basically a 500-football team, um, you know, 8-8, eight and, eight, and 8 wins is certainly, that's almost tripling your win total. I mean, one more win and you're tripling your win total from where you were uh, on average in the five years uh, that he's been there. So, um, what... Uh, what Fisher has done is helped, you know, make the, the franchise competent again. Now, uh, they're not world beaters. They're not necessarily a playoff team. Um, you know, they're certainly not what you would call a Super Bowl contender. But, you know, they are a team that's competitive. They're in games. Um, and and, and they're, they're playing better. And so the organization um, – which went through a transition moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles, wanted to kind of, uh, I don't want to say reward Fisher, but in a sense, you know, you want to reward Fisher for the work that he's done in helping pull the Rams up to, you know, a certain plateau. And then, you know, also give him a little bit of a break because he is coaching a year in transition. And he's done it before uh, when the Houston Oilers moved to Tennessee. He was the coach of uh, the then Oilers, then, which then became the Titans. So he led a team through transition before. And so um, they wanted to give him an extra year, year or two to kind of reap the rewards of that where you're not having to deal with uh, the struggles of transition. Now, I know we've seen interviews from players saying, oh, we, we don't notice. Well, the players aren't really the ones that notice the transition type stuff anyway. It's the support staff, um, you know, guys like the uh, the, the film guy. You know, where is he going to get – where is he getting his film from? Where is he – you know, what equipment is he using? Where is the – where are they going to cut stuff, that kind of stuff? Now they don't cut actual film anymore. It's all digital. But, um you know, the, the, it's the support staff and the coaches that have the hardest time of the transition because the facilities aren't there. The familiarity isn't there. The You know, the base items that they usually have aren't there. So uh, I think what they wanted to do is they said, you know, Fisher's done a good job of taking this – Uh, this franchise from the dumps and pulling it up to mediocrity we want to kind of reward that and we'll give it the two-year extension and uh, uh, and then when we get ready to open our new stadium you know here in a couple of years then we'll transition on Jeff will be at the end you know he's he's getting up there in years Jeff will be on the uh, on the end of his coaching career and we can maybe transition to a new coach at that time if we're not having success and if we are having success so much the better
0: no, and and that does make sense. And and I've got one thing that I've got to get to you before, I actually come back to the two things that that popped into my head as you were explaining it away. And and you talk about the mediocrity, you know, from the bad, and and that is certainly the case because win totals they matter. You know, it's the wins that matter. What I think people have a problem with, and the Orange County Register's Rich Hammond pointed this out today, is that statistically, if you look at the Rams in terms of yards per game and points per game, they aren't any better than they were during that stretch. By hook or by crook, they are still finishing for better or worse, 7-9. and nine. That's, that's, you know, been the rally cry of hard knocks and the fans, but it 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 would seem to me that progression wise, the team's not doing it beyond the win total. Is it the win total that Cronky and Snead which I'm going to get to him in a second because hopefully you can answer the question that every Ram wants to know. But is it something that Kroenke and Sneed value above anything else? They don't care how it gets there as long as that win total and being in games are appealing it 's almost that arsenal approach they haven 't won a damn thing, but you know what they 're always there, and that is why i'm convinced you get Arsenal fans coming back same concept here is is that basically what 's going on
1: well to a degree um you know let me go back and you, you talked about being you know statistically no better off offensively they certainly aren 't any better off defensively they are but um to sneed yes, wins are the uh, the bottom line to less sneed it is a you know is a Um, A bottom line type deal, and the bottom line is wins. Uh, For Stan Cronkie, it's a little different. The bottom line is dollars. Um, I live in a town where the Cronkies own two franchises. and uh, uh to put it nicely uh, to put it charitably the, the bottom line is wins um you know whether it's the avalanche or whether it's uh, uh the Denver nuggets you know who are, are neither are exactly world beaters um
0: you know they they, they do want championships. the ads used them. to be the ads used to be sorry Sorry, short spot there. No, you're correct. And and, and, I mean, you're
1: you're correct. And they used to be. The championships are the goal, but to them, to the Kronkies, the bottom line really is more about the dollars and making sure that the business aspect of it, they understand that they are not – Stan Cronky understands that he is not a, quote, unquote, football mind. You know, and so he's not going to be, Jerry, he's the anti Jerry Jones in that he's going to be staying out of it and letting his quote unquote football people run it. The problem is, is that the people that he has as his football people, um, the brain trust there hasn't been as successful as the fans want. And so therein lies the problem.
0: Okay. So getting back to the thing that popped into my head as you were giving your initial answer, you look at Jeff Fisher guiding the team into mediocrity, but. Along the way, it's worth noting that right now with Goff, Goff sort of represents the second rebuild. Fisher has already rebuilt the team once. That didn't work, and now he's rebuilding it again. Is there a point where the Rams could have gotten the new coach now? Why wait until right before? What's what's the point in waiting if you know that's the direction you're headed?
1: Well, um, you know, talking to a a Ram source on this, they told me that they surveyed the landscape of available coaches and didn't think that there was anything that was going to be an improvement. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is the hottest name in coaching right now, and they're not going to get him, um, you know, at the end of this season. Uh, And then your other options are Josh McDaniels, who's not coming back. Um, And then, uh, um, you know, maybe uh, Sean McDermott, the defensive coordinator of the Panthers. That's not really a sexy hire. So uh, why not stay the course? with what you have right now if you can't definitively improve uh, and, and then reassess your options year to year as you go. If if another coach comes up there, you see something uh, or the potential for something at the end of you know the next season, then you know you reevaluate at that point. Um, change for change's sake is often bad. You know, oftentimes that can lead to uh, negative consequences. We mentioned you know a basketball team, the Denver Nuggets, owned by the Cronkies. They jettisoned George Carl, a guy who got to the playoffs but then couldn't win. He was kind of the Marty Schottenheimer of basketball, and the Nuggets have been terrible ever since. Uh, so change. Change for change's sake is often, uh, is often a poor move. You want to make sure that when you're making that change, you're setting your franchise up in a trajectory that's up or forward. And I just think that they look around the league and they see the top two options aren't going to come out there, and they don't, you know, they don't want to make a change um, just to have a guy, you know, to find themselves back in the uh, Spagnolo or Linehan you know, era where they're getting three wins a season.
0: You follow up on that. And and I, I'm totally with you on that. My first question to everybody, because USC did this like a parade and, and I got asked this a lot, you know, and, and, and the thing is, well, if you want to fire the current coach, who do you hire? Like who available out there is your guy. If you don't have somebody that's better than the guy you currently have, then you may not go the direction you want to go. Um, But I am a little bit curious on what I like to call the change of scenery, guys. And you look at a guy like Mike McCarthy, you look at a guy like maybe Mike Tomlin, and you say, okay, they've kind of had their trials and tribulations and their successes at both organizations, but right now things are not headed the direction that either man would like. Maybe a change of scenery does these guys good. And I'm not specifically talking about just those two. But when the Rams surveyed the landscape, were they looking at or possibly tempting some of these guys for change of scenery? Or is that something that they're ready to do come 2019?
1: Well, I think that right now, and specifically with those two, that thought would be unrealistic. uh, Mike Tomlin is very safe in Pittsburgh. The sea is not warm there at all. Um, I know there's been some reports out there, people are a little disgruntled, but the seat is not even remotely warm under Mike Tomlin right now, and he is certainly not leaving Pittsburgh for Los Angeles uh, unless he were to be fired, which he's not going to be. Mike McCarthy, the seat's a little warm, but he's earned the capital to give himself one more year, so he's not going to go anywhere in Green Bay uh, unless he has another down season. Um, So that's the thing. The change of scenery, guys, like – You know, you have to be realistic about what guys you're going to get. And the change of senior guy that you're going to get would be a Gus Bradley. And, you know, he's the all time losingest coach in NFL history by percentage. So I don't think that that's, uh, you know, where you want to go. You know, from the all-time losing his coach by volume to the all-time losing his coach by percentage is not really a step in the right direction, uh, you know, if you're the Rams. So um, I I think, again, and this is coming from, you know, inside the Rams, is they they look at the landscape and say, well, there's no definitive opportunity for improvement here. Let's stay the course and then find the right guy next year or the year
0: after. And that certainly makes sense. All right, so you flash forward. And and I just want to spend one more question on this, and then let's talk about the present. You flash forward to the end of that 2018 contract that Jeff Fisher um, signed, and and you say, okay, who are the Rams looking or who could the Rams possibly be looking at bringing in there? I've heard names like Sean Payton, you know, but, but any time – people are looking into the Fiat coaching rumors are just worthless. They're like soccer transfer rumors, man. They really just are. There's no point in in listening to them until at least four or five credible sources are coming with the same information. So is this something that the Rams are like, you know what, we're going to even just sit on it and, and see what happens then? Or is there a thought process going into this extension?
1: Well, there's a thought process going into it, and that is that, you know, they're, they're basically taking a year-to-year renewal uh, approach, you know. Um, they, they're coming in. They understand this season's kind of a wash. They're hoping to get back to, you know, close to 500, but this season's kind of more or less a wash. And, uh, you know, looking ahead, well, maybe we get back on our feet now that we're, you know, more, more planted in the L.A. area next year. And if we don't, then we review at the end of the year, see what other coaches are out there. If we feel like there's a, you know, a young up-and-comer or somebody who can better maximize our our young quarterback and then that's the direction that you know they go but um again i mean your options right now are just really really limited the only proven commodity coach out there that they could get is a guy who would be a stop gap anyway and tom coughlin so um but you know you just got to look at the scenery and say look um What we've done with Jess has been, you know, has been okay. It's not great, but it's gotten us to a point. Maybe we've plateaued, but uh, is it worth risking a step backwards on somebody else or taking a scalp gap, or do we just kind of stay at the plateau we're at until we find the right guy to move us forward?
0: Now, speaking of the guy to move him forward, the Rams obviously spent a lot of capital to move up and draft Jared Goff. And there was a lot of debate between he and Carson Wentz. And certainly in the first part of the season, everybody anointed Carson Wentz the rookie of the year, the franchise and the greatest thing since Fire and the Wheel. And obviously since then, he's become a little bit more mortal, maybe a demigod, I don't know. But Jared Goff that whole time had to sit and sit and sit behind Case Keenum, and he's had his opportunities. And uh, I'm, 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 you know, from my point of view, I thought that, well, certainly the second game was a, a vast improvement upon the first, Uh, Last game, he got no help from his receivers. I think enough cannot be said about people who do not catch the ball. But from an evaluation standpoint, why did the Rams make him wait 10 weeks? And are we seeing now the fruits of that labor?
1: Well, they made him wait because, you know, he they, they felt like he wasn't ready. You know, one thing about the Rams is quarterback coach Chris Winkie was, was one of the hottest quarterback coaches, um, you know, in the National Football League. They actually went and got him from IMT Academy, where he was considered the preeminent quarterback tutor out there. I know, you know, some people talk about Whitfield, but Whitfield's just a guy who's on ESPA. He's not really, uh, amongst coaching circles, respected as a great quarterback's coach, where Chris Winkie is. Um, and Winkie's just simply, you know, told me when he was out here in Denver that golf isn't ready. Now, that was in the preseason, but um, you know, I, that's that's kind of the thing is the Rams use a very terminology dense offense. Um, and, and these days in the NFL, everybody's trying to get away with that. They're one of the few throwback clubs that still do that. Uh, and it's very tough for young quarterbacks to, to get that. If, if it's a terminology heavy offense, it's tough for them to remember and regurgitate a lot of that information. And then on top of that, you know, golf looks a little nervous out there, um, you know, throw the ball high. A little too much zip. is off of his accuracy, stuff like that. I mean, um, he's, uh, if, if recollection serves, I think he's throwing at about 54% completion percentage. Some of that's affected by drops, but that's low, um, especially for the offense that they run. Uh, you need to be over, you need to be over 60, about 61, 62 uh, on your completion percentage. Uh, and I think his quarterback rating is about six or seven points lower than Case Keenum's. You know, he's learning. Um, I'm not saying he's not ever going to get it. I certainly wasn't as high on him as the Rams were in this draft. Uh, not a guy I would have taken first overall. But, um, you know, he shows some flashes here and there. He can make some of the throws. Maybe he, you know, maybe he becomes the guy. I don't know. Um, but. You know, at this juncture, I think that the the delay was just that he wasn't ready, and you know, now you're kind of putting him out there because you're out of contention, and the snaps don't uh, don't matter, so you don't you know you don't need the veteran out there. You you put the young guy out there and get him the reps. They're just hoping to get him tuned up and be ready, uh, adjusted to the speed of the game and that kind of stuff for next season.
0: Now, moving forward and looking at next season, um, I'm not sure at this point. Well, two things. One what the Rams are going to do, well, really with the offensive line, and two, what they're going to do with Greg Robinson. Because Greg Robinson, to me, doesn't strike me as a guy now at, what are we looking at, about his fourth year in the league? This is a guy that I'm not convinced has it yet, and a lot of Rams fans are kind of convinced isn't going to get it if he doesn't have some of it by now. But there is a thought process that says move him to the interior of the line where he doesn't have as much responsibility, and he probably and should succeed. Is that something that could happen down the line, or are the Rams really committed to keeping Robinson at left tackle and having him and Goff ride this thing into the future?
1: Well, they, they want him to become the guy, but I don't think he is. I always projected him as a guard, so I was a little stunned that they you know they have a the left tackle. I, I I've projected him as a guard, maybe a swing tackle over there on the right side, but uh, you know, mostly, uh, mostly as a guard. So I was a little surprised they do that. The Rams... One of the big problems that they've had over the years, um, you know, so in, in the post Vermeil Martz era, is that they struggled to evaluate talent along the offensive line, and that's really what's hindered the team. Uh, bad offensive line, but you remember the Jason Smith pick? I mean, that was just that was a, a terrible pick. That uh, was all very, very heavily predicated on the fact that you know Jason Peters had successfully made the conversion from tight end uh, to offensive tackle. Uh, from college to the pros. And, and, you know, Smith was an all world athlete, but not really a great offensive line. And you get the same thing with Greg Robinson. You know, he's a fantastic athlete for his size, but not really a great, you know, tackle. Both those guys were probably better start as guards. And so I think that, uh, you know, looking at that, the Rams are going to have to, uh, make some, some, some better evaluations on the offensive side of the football, both at wide receiver and on the offensive line. Um, because short of that, you're wasting the talents of Todd Gurley, who we've seen flashes from as a, you know, as a fantastic runner. And he's just—he looks like he's mired in quicksand this year, running a 3.2 at carry, can't find a crease to save his life. Um, so I, I feel like they're squandering a lot of talent because they just don't have the offensive linemen and they don't have the wide receiver evaluations in place uh, to successfully surround the other pieces that they've got.
0: And Jamal Brown and Cody Whitman have basically formed a tag team at this point. Um, one's in, one's out, one's in, one's out. Um, I covered Wickman at Fresno State. Uh, my one big knock on him is that he, uh, once Austin Wentworth left, he never really stepped up into that vocal leadership, <clears throat> even though he was sort of the senior lineman on the spot. And and you sort of see him play small, I think, in the NFL. I think the talent's there, but I, I think somebody needs to go in there and just toughen them up. The goods are there. He just needs to be toughened up a little. But um, where do the Rams you, – you talk about having receivers and, and, and getting this offense going moving forward. Where do the Rams come up with that? Because at the end of this year, Tremaine Johnson is free to go. And Aaron Donald's fast coming up on, on becoming a free agent. And – Now you have to convince Donald that he wants to stick around, Um, which if, you know, the the losing continues, there's no guarantee that Donald will with with his talent. Who wouldn't want him? Um, But the Rams don't exactly have the picks. They don't have the picks to pick up the offensive linemen. They may have the fix to find a diamond in the rough at the wide receiver position. But as you have said, they've had struggles uh, eyeing out talent. And to me, I think that extends out to the wide receiver position, too. I mean, they've had some busts out there. And, you know, I don't know what would have happened with Steadman Bailey had, had he remained healthy. But it's really hard to see – the the idea of Stedman Bailey and Tavon Austin ever working the way people thought it would in the NFL. And in order for the Rams to, to fill up those gaps and turn this thing in, into a machine moving forward, somebody's got to go. And the only person on that team that's going to get you any significant value is the one guy you don't want to trade in Aaron Donald.
1: Yeah, you're going to, these days with the draft, you can find receivers in later rounds more so than you used to. A lot of spread teams in college now are playing four and five wide a lot, so that means a lot more receivers get a lot more reps. It uh, means a lot more guys are ready for the NFL. So you can find guys, you know, later in the draft as the wide receiver, but the priority has to be the offensive line. If you can't protect it, you can't establish the run, well, then you're not going to be able to do anything anyway, and it won't matter. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've, they've invested too much capital in guys like Kayvon Austin, drafted him way too early. Um, and those gadget guys, you know, they, they rarely work out in the league. Austin's had some, some flashy plays here and there, but anytime you have to, you know, create for a guy, um, that that ends up being a problem. You know, shouldn't a great football player create it on his own? Um, And and so the Rams offense has really been, you know, centered around trying to create things for Tavon Austin, and that's that's not healthy. That's not good. Uh, Personally, I'd like to see Austin lining up in the slot and then, you know, maybe running some jet motion snaps, uh, some more jet motion snaps um, with him. You know, it gives you maybe a a read option look um, where you can line, um, you know, Austin in the slot, run him left to right, uh, and you, you look for maybe a handoff off the snap, and he kind of reads, you know, reads the quarterback or reads his keys, and then he has the option of pitching to a, you know, to a Todd Gurley coming out of the backfield going the other direction if the linebackers start to lean. I'd like to see some more creativity out of the play calling. I just think, you know, they, for the bad offensive line that they have, and they've got an offensive coordinator who's, uh, uh, whatever the opposite of creative is, he's that. Um, but it's, you know, I, I, and I think that's the problem. I think that, you know, you need to find a way to be more creative with the pieces you have or get their pieces.
0: So... The, the the question becomes then where do they get those better pieces? I, I, I mean, what do they have to? If you were prioritizing this and you're looking across the Rams and saying, okay, if I'm going to hold on to Donald, but still try and get some value somewhere, who do you look at potentially trading to get back into the draft?
1: Well, i don 't know that you have the pieces to go trading anybody. You could maybe try to trade a table Austin all that contract is somewhat of an albatross um you know, Lance Kendricks, if you can find somebody to bite on him. But none of these guys are going to net shoot big top draft picks. You're just going to have to get creative and great evals out of the draft of the middle, you know, the middle rounds. And then you're going to have to get creative and hope in free agency you can, you know, convince a player or two to come out. That's uh, going to be difficult to do now that you're out in Los Angeles where the taxes are significantly higher for the state of California than they were for the state of Missouri. But, um, you know, it's not to say it can't be done. Uh, but, you know, free agency is where you're, to have to, where you're going to have to fill some holes because you don't have the draft picks because you used him to get golf in the first place.
0: So what is your overall assessment of Goff and how he fits into the NFL moving forward? Now, I know that you weren't as high on him. Um, I, I was kind of team went, but when I see this guy – do you see him being the future of the Rams or is there the ever-loving possibility? Because when I came into this thing, the first question I asked our, our manage, managing editor was I say, okay, I look at these quarterbacks and Sam Bradford, Nick Foles, et cetera. And a lot of these guys come from spread offenses, like Case Keenum that chunk the ball a lot, you know, at the year, in particular, that Sam Bradford, I think he broke the record for 60-point games in a season. And it was just Bob Stoops constantly letting the guy throw and throw and throw. And and these seem to be the quarterbacks that don't work out for the Rams, and yet they keep coming back to them. Am I missing something? Or does that whole, you know, insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, Does, does it not apply here?
1: Oh, I think it applies, and I think the word you're looking for is air raid quarterbacks. You know, these quarterbacks coming out of air raid offenses tend to struggle in the NFL, um, you know, I is, is, you know, one that's drafted pretty odd. We don't see too many of them succeed in the NFL. It's, uh, you're, you're not making reads and progressions. And I, I, it's one of the things I get a laugh out of, I think, when I'm watching the, you know, the average draft nick on Twitter, um, uh, you know, comments on these guys is uh, talk about reads and progressions out of some of these offenses, these air yeah, raid right offenses. It's a key read, it's a spot throw. There's not a progression there. It's a, <laughs> it, it's, it's all predetermined. Um, and you're not, you know, they, they talk about going through progressions. There's not a, really a progression there. It's a spot throw, and and like I said, it's a keyed read based on where the linebacker goes. So. Um they're not used to pro concepts. Um, they're not used to pro defense concepts. There's a, uh, a lot of offenses in college now are playing with tempo. And so the problem with that is, is that you crowdsource the reads, you know, the receiver is sending hand signals to the quarterback, letting him know what he's going to run. Uh, the center or the guard is making the protection call on the line. And then the running back is, you know, is identifying the mic. The quarterback just has to act like a point guard. And so the, the, the problem with that is these guys come into the NFL completely unprepared to play. Um, we saw that quite a bit with, um, uh, Uh, Bryce Petty, for instance, uh, at the Combine, you know, out of Baylor, you know, they like to play that up tempo, crowdsource read stuff, cue cards on the sideline, and golf was no different. His center made his protection calls. The receivers were hand signal guys, and uh, running back, uh, Daniel Lasco he had, was doing a lot of the, uh, you know, identifying the right backers. So these guys come in, you know, unprepared to play. Now, you said, is golf the future? Well, he's going to be for the next two years because the dead cap money to get rid of him is too much, and they've spent too much capital for him not to be. But, um, You know, you you hope he transitions into that guy. You never want to root against a kid. Uh, The evaluation I made on him wasn't, uh, you know, was a a mid- to low-tier NFL starter. Um, I hope he exceeds that. You know, I hope I, I'm always I'm always the guy who wants to be proven wrong. You know, if I make an evaluation on a guy that's lower, prove me wrong. You know, be better than that. Um, had a great conversation with, uh, yeah, with Dak Prescott. Prescott was a guy I thought, you know, I, I, I'd never seen really an Urban Meyer quarterback come in and succeed in the NFL. Alex Smith was the, previously the, the bar on that. And, you know, Prescott was talking to me about some tweets I'd sent out and I was like, man, I'm not trying to be negative with you. I, you know, I, I'm just trying to speak my mind on the thing. Go out and prove me wrong and my goodness, has he gone out and proved me wrong? So, you know, I'm I'm rooting for these guys when I give them lower than you know lower evaluations to to come out and, and do that. I I don't really uh, I never root against a kid even if I think that they're not going to to be what we want them to be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think the problem when when you do that on Twitter is that people view that as hating, and you're like no. I really like the guy as a player. I'm just not buying into the same hype that everyone else is. So you think he sucks. No, that's not what I said. Yeah, I hear you. I, I totally understand it. So a couple last things before I let you get out of here, man. Whoa. How? What is the ceiling for this Rams team, let's say, through 2018? Like, you know the the sun sh- the sun shines on a dog's butt every once in a while. I mean, is there is there the possibility that this somehow comes together? that Farrow Cooper, Nelson Spruce, and and everyone steps up. Tyler Higby finally steps up and these guys all start gelling together. And the Rams maybe finish nine and seven. Or is team seven and nine sticking around for for the foreseeable future?
1: Well, I think if they get a couple, you know, a couple of breaks and things like that, you could certainly see, you know, a scenario in which they go eight and eight, nine seven, something like that, maybe even ten wins. Uh, but the problem is, you know, you're. <laughs> You're in a tough division. You've got Seattle, and they're not going away anytime soon. Arizona's having a down year this year, and and the Rams aren't even able to capitalize on that. Um, and you know, and then the Niners are kind of a doormat, but. Um, You know, you would think that a division that's, you know, that's a little down this year, that would be the time to make some headway and they were unable to capitalize on it. So um, I I don't know if there's a whole lot of optimism. I think that uh, the the two-year window that you're looking at right now is continue to try to stockpile good players where you can, get some young talent in there and try to load this roster uh, quality level up as much as you can, um, you know, before you move in the new stadium and try to really start making a run at it. Um, I think they're trying to look at these early years as developmental time for golf, try to figure out if some of these receivers are, you know, are worth it or not. Kenny Britt certainly had a career resurgence this year. Uh, but, it, you know, as Brian Quick came on Austin, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned Higby at the tight end um, you know, Marquez, uh, Masero Cooper, those guys, are any, any of these guys going to come out and, and be the guy. So, um, you know, they're, they're kind of hoping maybe one of those guys develops that kind of thing and they can keep looking and hope they hit in some of the other rounds. Um, but I would say if you're looking for an outlook, uh, you're probably looking at a 500 ish team, uh, within one or two games of 500, either way. Um, and for this foreseeable future. Um I, I just don't see any scenario in which they suddenly morph into a thirteen game winner and you know and take the league by storm. Uh, stranger things have happened, but I, I don't see it looking at this roster.
0: So last question here, and, and I realize it's way too early, but you know, we're headed into that time and and really just just based on maybe uh, positional need, I mean, toss out a few names that might be possible for the Rams in the later rounds. You mentioned some of those holes that they needed to fill. Like we covered, they don't have many early picks, so they're going to have to do this in the later rounds. Are there some guys right now who, for one reason or another, and it always happens, somebody always acts the ass um, at the combine and gets sent home, it's – Happens on almost a yearly basis. Somebody does something stupid in the off season, and their stock drops. Um, who could possibly slip into the later rounds that the Rams could come up on to provide a real boost to this offense moving forward? Well.
1: Uh- You know, at the receiver position we talked about, there's a guy I have my eye on down there at Arkansas, Drew Morgan, uh, very quietly over the last two years, put together two really stellar seasons. I think he's a guy that fits the offense, or at least what they're trying to do um, out there in Los Angeles. And I think he'll be available in the mid-rounds, maybe, uh, you know, potentially uh, uh, a little later than that. So, uh, um, you know, he could be a guy that you would look at. Fits the fits the archetype, and of course, Fisher actually had a guy named Drew Morgan a few years back in Tennessee that uh, was kind of a good receiver. So I guess there's something of symmetry there. Um, you know, if you're looking for that, um, man, offensive lineman that might slip. That's uh, that's just a really tough. Uh, <laughs> a tough get offensive lineman usually you're a premium especially at the offensive tackle positions um i don't think that you're going to see a scenario in which one of the you know the top guys cam robinson guys like that are available um you might get uh, uh what's the kid's name wheeler out of usc yeah um, yeah he's uh he's a guy you might see in a in a, in a scenario where
0: i was thinking um, about maybe him or Banner.
1: Okay, yeah, those guys. Uh, Dawkins out of Temple's a guy. Dan Skipper out of Arkansas. That's a uh, that's another one. Skipper's uh, interesting because he's six nine. He's so tall; it's tough to get leverage. He's also a guy who gives you that additional special team versatility as a as a wedge guy who can block uh, field goals because of his length. So um, you know, there's there's a couple of guys in there that might be Magson out of Michigan. Another guy might be available there. So um, I, I don't. Uh, you know it 's tough to project offensive line guys that'll slip, but you know at the same time uh, there there's this is a quality offensive line draft, I think so you know you might get lucky and get a couple of guys in the mid rounds be available that maybe in another draft would be taken in the first or second
0: there's a lot of quality in that wheeler pick if they make it. The only issue for the Rams in making that pick is do you grab another guy with a history of injuries on an offensive line that is always injury riddled. That's the question. And funnily, you know, you know Zach Banner's in that 6'9 range, too. I think he had to actually have his hips shaved, uh, you know, to get more mobility. So there's, there's, there's a couple 6'9 guys that Fisher could go after. But um, what I always like to do um, before I let guys get out of here uh, is, if, you know, A, if you have any final thoughts, but B, uh, let people know where they can find you on social media and anything that you have upcoming or any items to which you would like to draw eyes from the general public?
1: Well, I think uh, obviously you can find me on Twitter at Albright NFL, although it's the Dumpster Fire, and I apologize if you're following me already. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you can listen to uh, you know the radio, uh, Mile High Sports. MileHighSports.com usually streams out the show live, so if you ever want to. You want to listen to that? All the info is, I think, in my bio. Um, as far as stuff that's upcoming, you know, I'll be deep diving on draft stuff here starting the next week. Uh, I've already started looking at the quarterbacks, giving a cursory look, but uh, I'll be deep diving in on that. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, I dropped third quarter CQBR stuff. For people that don't know what that is, I think it's a it's a better way to measure quarterbacking performance overall. Rams fans may be a little disappointed in their quarterbacks, but uh, I think uh, I think when you look at the numbers, it's a better indication of how they're doing. So. Uh, yeah those are a few things I got coming up
0: well it's been a pleasure Ben I know that uh, I am sure (laughs) that I will have many more questions about the Rams in the future but thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight on Joe Show Radio anytime guys